Good morning, everyone. It is good to be able to see you. I'll tell you what, I don't know how many times, I, I, no matter how many times it happens, I'm not going to get used to preaching to just one, like, or two solitary cameras. It is way better to be able to see people, and it is a joy to see the sanctuary seating you folks. I'm so glad to be with you. I'm really moved by this card that you gave me for Pastor Appreciation Month. That's really, really kind. I very much appreciate your kindness to me. I'm also excited for uh, the privilege of being able to look into God's Word with you today. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 13. I'll turn there along with you to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Today we're going to be talking about how everything belongs to God. This is the last sermon on the, uh, the Core Conviction series, the series Grounded in Christ and Growing in Christ. As we worked through what characterized our congregation at Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, one of the things that was agreed upon was we care a lot about stewardship, about how it is that we're using all of the resources that God has given to us, our abilities, our time, our finances, and so we're going to be talking about that today. Now, I understand that there's a challenge that's inherent with that. Whenever you're talking about ability or time or money, you're talking about stuff that's very personal. And so sometimes people are like, how dare you tell me how I should be using my time or spending my financial resources? I understand that that's one of the things that can happen. We had a guest preacher once come to Orland Park Christian Reformed Church and decided to preach on that thing and gave very specific accusatory applications. And I remember the elders being like, he has no idea who we are. How is he accusing us of being a certain way? Now, I, I, what I'm going to do is try to refrain from any kind of accusation. I don't know what kind of, uh, what kind of stewardship this church is given to, but what I am going to do is to just lay out some of the principles that the scriptures give to us. And uh, I would ask that we would give ourselves to be open to what it is that the Bible says to us about all of these things. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. We're going to be talking today about how everything belongs to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring light to the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings, and would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death. 
because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Amen. That's God's word to us today. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for your powerful word. Thank you for how it calls us to live and trust in you. We pray that as we consider it now, you give us open minds and hearts, that you'd make us receptive to what it is that you say in your word. We pray that we would heed what's said here, that we would, that we would um, understand that everything that we have comes from you, that you have placed us as stewards over your resources. We pray that we would have that outlook on all that you've given to us. We pray, Lord, we pray that if anything that I say does not come from you, that you make it fall to the ground and pass away and be forgotten, we pray that everything that is from you would remain and strengthen our trust in the Lord Jesus. God, you are so great. We pray that you would help us to realize that everything that we possess is actually yours. Help us to change the way we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 asks an important question. What do you have that you did not receive? The point is, at the very beginning of the message, the point to sort of highlight that is to consider and realize that everything that we have has come as a gift. What do you have that you did not receive? The answer is nothing. Everything that I have, I have because I received it as a gift. All of life is a gift from God who is a very gracious giver. The next statement makes it clear that we're to understand that everything that we've received is a gift. If then you received it, says 1 Corinthians 4, 7, if then you received it, so the answer is that everything has been received as a gift. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And here, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reveals what is the bent of the human heart. We're quick to trust or boast in the things that we have. And he goes on to just talk a little bit about the things that the Corinthian church are boasting about. They have all they want, they've become kings, they're strong, they're held in high regard, they're wise, but every single one of these things, their wealth and their position, their honor and their wisdom, it's all been given to them. And Paul, also under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes it clear how they should be living. In verse 16, he tells the Corinthian church to imitate him. And verse 1, he says he lives as a steward of the mysteries of God. So he's telling the Corinthian church, all right, live in the same way that I'm living. Live as a steward. Now, this is one of those words that doesn't immediately resonate with us. It's not one of these illustrations that may immediately connect with us. What is a steward? Well, for us to understand what Paul is saying here, we have to understand what a steward is is what it was at that particular time. A steward was a servant or a slave who had been given the high position of being in charge of all of his master's 
possessions. We can see an example of this in the book of Genesis when Joseph is put in charge of Potiphar's house. You remember Joseph was sold into, sold into uh, slavery by his brothers. He ends up being a slave in Potiphar's house. He's so blessed by God in his work that Potiphar puts him in charge of everything that Potiphar owns. This is what Joseph was doing in the book of Genesis. He is made a steward. Now, he didn't own anything that Potiphar owned, but he was the one who was tasked with maintaining and organizing everything that Potiphar owned and determining what was going to go where on behalf of the master that he served. The International Standard Encyclopedia says that Paul describes himself as a steward when he does this. The idea is that he takes scrupulous care of that which was entrusted to him and gives it out to others faithfully as directed by the master, Jesus Christ. Here's the point for today. Everything that you have has been given to you by God. Everything that I have has been given to me by God. All of it. Let's make this as clear as possible. You're on earth today because God created the earth and sustained the earth. You're here in this particular location because God formed and fashioned you and gave you life and the ability to be here this morning. You're alive because God continues to sustain you and because God has determined in his wisdom and power that your life would continue at least through today. You're in a church that's fashioned of materials that God put on the earth, fashioned in various parts of the building by builders and craftsmen and workers and designers who were all given their abilities by the Lord and are upheld and sustained by the Lord. You're listening to my words that are amplified through means that God made as he fashioned the earth so long ago, and you're hearing a voice that would immediately become silent if God determined that I should no longer speak. Every part of who we are and where we are and what we do and what we possess is a gift from God. All of life is a gift. Every single bit of it is a gift. Everything belongs to God. And God, in his mercy, has entrusted some of what he possesses to your care. He's given you life. He is life. But he's given you your life to use in a manner that pleases him and gives him glory. He's given you wealth. It's all his, but he's made you a steward over some of it. He is the master. You're given authority over one piece of his wealth. He's given you time. How much time he's given to us, none of us knows. But it's borrowed. He's the master of it. He's given you abilities that are his. They are gifts from him, and you can steward them throughout your life. And so I've got a few goals for us today as we take a look at this particular text and as we work out what it means. There are a few things that I've been praying for you over the course of the last week or the last few weeks. The first goal is that we'll develop a 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7 mentality. What do I have that I've not received? Nothing. Everything that I have, I have received from God. Everything is a gift. Everything comes from God. Everything belongs to God. And knowing that, my hope and prayer would be that knowing that God has given us everything, that we would trust the source and not the supply. That we would act as faithful stewards using his finances, his time, his abilities, which he's entrusted us in a way that would please 
him that would please God. And so we're going to look at those three aspects of what it means to have received as a, a gift from God and talk about those things. We're going to talk about finances, we're going to talk about time, and we're going to talk about abilities. We're going to talk about finances probably for the longest period of time as we work through each one of these, both because my grandpa, who was a preaching professor, he taught me, he was like, always make sure your first point is the longest by the time you're done with the first, people just want you to move quick through the second and third. You don't have them for much longer. So the first is the longest, both for that reason, but most particularly because the, the Bible talks about finances uh, in more places, in a larger amount of places than it does time or ability, as it specifically relates to stewardship. So we're going to talk about finances first, and then time, and then abilities. And we're going to talk about the reality that everything that we have, every single part of every single one of those things, has been given to us by God. He is the owner of it. We are just stewards who have been placed over God's time, God's money, God's resources, God's abilities that he's given to us. So we need to steward that right in a way that honors the one who has given to us all those things. So let's start with finances. Finances are something that the American church desperately needs to talk about, and stewardship in the financial realm is something that the American church desperately needs to learn. According to the best research done by evangelical Christian organizations, American Christians give, on average, a very small amount to the Lord and to his causes. Now, we have to understand... uh, some of the language here that's helpful, I just want to clarify, you may know this, I'm bad with numbers and math, so I've got to talk about this just so it's clear to me in my own mind. There are two ways that we can understand how much people give. One is called the average. Now, now you know the average, right? You know what average means? It's kind of hard for me, but you know, you take, you, take, uh, you take two, you add it up, you divide it by the number of people, that gives you the average. There's also the mean. Now, the mean is different from the average because what happens is if you were to determine the mean, say, say you lined up everybody in this room from uh, you know, the person who had given the least to the person who had given the most, we would never do that, by the way. We'd never do that, so that's not going to happen. And then you picked the person in the middle. That would give you a sense of, okay, this gives us a sense of where kind of the, the middle person, where they are in terms of their giving. Now, there is some work done by an evangelical Christian organization just a couple of years ago to determine what's the mean giving the middle giving in American Christianity. And according to the research that this organization did, the mean, the number where there's an equal number who gave higher and an equal number who gave lower of giving within the American church is 0.62%. That means that 50% of American Christians give less than 0.62% of their income. And 50% of American Christians give more than 0.62% of their income. It's only 12% of Christians who give at least one-tenth of their income. It's only 12% of practicing Christians who therefore tithe their income. One Oxford study showed that if committed American Christians tithed, so this is committed American Christians, not just the ones who claim to be Christians, which would be a much bigger number. This is just those who are regularly in church. If just those who regularly are in church in America tithed their income, then the American church would have an additional $150 billion with which to do God's work each year. There's been a lot that's been written about the uh, impoverished nature of the American church. You see it if you take a look at any of the statistics. The fact that church membership and attendance is in decline, 
that the fastest growing religion in America is secularism or religiously unaffiliated. A great deal has been talked about the impoverished nature of the church. I wonder if one of the reasons isn't that we give as though we were impoverished. This principle, the principle about, about giving and what it says about our heart, can be found in Matthew chapter 6. Let me read for you just a part of Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye of the lamp is the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So here's the principle from Matthew chapter 6. You cannot serve both God and money, but you can serve God with your money. And you cannot take your possessions with you, but you can send them ahead. You can store up treasures in heaven. It's a truth that helps us understand why so much time in Scripture is devoted to talk about giving, giving financial resources, because money is a barometer for your heart. Money is a barometer for your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We can see the way that this works itself out in Scripture in a number of different places. John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3 was asked by the crowd what they should do to bear the fruit of repentance. Here is what he said in Luke chapter 3. Everyone should share their clothes and food with the poor. Tax collectors shouldn't pocket extra money. Soldiers should be content with their wages and not extort money. Here are some other examples. Zacchaeus immediately gave away vast sums of his fortune upon encountering Jesus. Some Jerusalem converts sold all they had and gave it to the poor. The widow that we remember from scripture for the widow's might, the two small coins was the widow that gave all that she could. At the same time, the parable of the rich fool warns us that it is foolish to be rich towards oneself and poor towards God. The rich young ruler was unwilling to become a disciple of Jesus because he was unable to sell all he owned before following Jesus in Matthew 19, 21. Many who came to Jesus immediately expressed their faith in the way that they handled money. And they were making a wise investment. They determined that they would no longer store up treasures on earth, but that they would begin, once they started following Jesus, they would begin storing up treasures in heaven. They realized, as we can realize, that God was the owner of all that they possessed. So they started giving him back what belonged to him in the first place. You and I are stewards. None of the money that we have is really ours. It's all God's. You are a steward of his money. And you're called to manage his assets for his benefit. Christians sometimes fear leaving the earth because it's where their treasure is. If your treasure is on earth, each day brings you closer to losing your treasure. But if your treasure is in heaven, if you are giving your resources to God's purposes, you will find 
Well, that, that your love for the things of the earth is, is diminished. My heart goes where I put God's money. My heart goes to the places where I, you know, where I, I give. And one of the things that is so helpful, it, it's just so helpful every time I write a check and I'm like, oh man, this, this means that things are going to be tighter for us or for our family. It means that we're not going to be able to use this sort of in the ways that we want to. Every time when I'm writing that and giving it to, uh, to the church or sending it to a Christian organization that really deserves to be supported, one that's supporting God's mission in the world, every time I do that, I'm, it's, I'm reminded, all right, this is God's money. So where would God want this to go? And it's very helpful for me to then write the check and realize, oh man, this needs to go to the spreading of the gospel. This needs to go to the building of God's kingdom more than it needs to go to me feeling comfortable. Because we're stewards. The question, therefore, isn't how much of my money am I going to give away it's how much, of, how much of God's money uh, do I feel comfortable keeping for myself? Because in all of this, I mean, it's good for us to experience enjoyment of the, of the blessings that God gives to us. It's good for us to make use of financial resources, to house our families, to feed our families. It's very necessary. It's good for us to make use of some of the blessings that God has given to us for enjoyment. I'm not telling you, all right, don't enjoy your life. Don't enjoy the gifts that God has given to you. I am telling you this. I'm telling you, we have got to be so clear about, about where, our, where our treasure is. I mean, are we just socking it away so that we have more and more and more, or are we, are we giving it away? Now, this, I mean, I know, of, uh, I know of one couple. This is just an illustration of how, how we have to be uh, wise and how we kind of apply this. Um, there's one couple that I know. I've had interactions with them. It's, a, it's an elderly husband and wife. You, you won't know them, so I'm not talking about anybody that you would possibly know. Uh, and the 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 husband and wife are are in their uh, their the waning years of their life. They have a substantial amount of financial resources. One of the things that they have committed to is giving that to the causes, right? They they want to give it. At least the husband wants to give it uh, to certain Christian causes and not to his children. Now, one of his children is impoverished and in incredible need of financial resources but he does not want to give it to that child. He wants to give it to make a legacy for himself. Now, that is also not using God's resources in a way that honors God, right? We don't give in a way that advances our name and lets people know what a great person we are. It's one of the reasons why God says, I mean, you need to give in a way that it's like your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing with all of this. This isn't giving so that our Names can be all over the place. Structures and buildings dedicated to our legacy. But this is genuinely discerning. All right, God has entrusted his money to me. How am I going to use it in a way that honors him? 
one of my closest friends in the ministry, Romel Williams Jr., offers some wisdom here. He says, unfortunately, we all know some people who give the Lord their hearts but never trust him with their wallets. I think that that is so striking, right? I've given, I've given the Lord my heart. I'm, I'm keeping my pocketbook for myself. What Reverend Williams uh, says is these five beliefs have the potential to change your life. Here's the first. All I have comes from what God gives. Number two, I live joyfully within God's current provisions for my life. Number three, I honor God by giving the first tenth of all my earnings to his purposes in the world. Here's number four. I set aside a portion of all my earnings into a savings account for emergencies, giving opportunities beyond 10% in my later years. And number five, I live listening for God's commands concerning my resources. These are helpful principles to guide how it is that we use our resources or how it is we use God's resources. It's not how much of my money am I going to give away. It's how much of God's money am I going to keep for myself. It's God. You and I are just given charge over it for a little bit of time. All right, so that's finances. Here's time. Let's move to time. This is a challenging for us, one for us as well in a distracted wor- world. Here's what Ephesians 5, 15 to 16 say. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the lord is make the best use of time because the days are evil look carefully how you walk not as unwise but as wise how is that going for people generally how are we making use of our time in ways that are wise or in ways that are unwise let me just give you a couple of statistics and you be the judge so according to cnn CNN had an article recently, they indicated that assuming a a 40-hour-a-week work week, assuming that you're sleeping about uh, seven hours a night, assuming that you are taking time for general needs like bathing and eating, I hope you all are, I trust you all are this morning, but assuming all of that stuff, then the average person has about 58 hours a week that they can spend doing things that they enjoy, recreation, time with family, time for entertainment. So the average family, assuming all of those things, would have about 58 hours. So the average family in America uses 52 of those hours to watch television. 52 of the 58 hours for leisure or recreation are spent by the average family watching television or engaging in some form of media. Forbes magazine says that most uh, people older older than the age of 13, most of them spend more than 10 hours a day Uh, in consuming media of one sort or another. Time is a gift that we have from God. It's his time. Are we stewarding it well? Is spending 52 out of the 58 hours that God maybe gives for enjoyment or recreation or being a part of the church family, is that wise or unwise? Is 10 plus hours a day engaging in media, is that wise or is that unwise? Now again, let me be clear. I'm not telling you, you know, never watch a movie. I'm not telling you never enjoy a TV show with somebody that you love. But what I am telling you is this, that, that this principle of be careful how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time is a call that comes from God. 
And so we need to do kind of an audit of our own heart through how it is we're using financial resources, how it is that we're using our time resources. Are we using these in a way that honors God? Are we using the resources that are God's and that he's given us to make use of and steward? Are we using them in a way that honors him? Are we, give, are we using the time that he has given to us as a blessing? It's, he's the Lord of time. It's his time. Are we using it in a way that honors him? Here's some things to think about as we, as we consider how we're using our time. We need to work hard. We need to rest well. We would be wise to avoid entertainment until everything else is done. Are the bills paid? Is everything where it should be? Have you finished your work for the day? God is the source of time. Use your time to honor him. And then, in terms of ability, what does God's word say? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you do is done to the glory of God. Now, this, again, is drastically opposed. It's entirely different from the way that the world uses anything that's taking place. Okay, so, so you all remember the, the famous boxer, right, who would float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. You remember what he would say about his ability? He would say, I am the greatest. Now, here's the way that a Christian, here's the way that a Christian operates whenever the Christian succeeds. God is the greatest. God is the greatest. Whatever you do is for God's glory, not for yours. It's all for God's glory. God is the greatest. George Whitfield is a revivalist. He lived some hundreds of years ago and and one of the things that uh, is contained in his diary is that he said that he would take time at the end of every day to determine, to take stock of his own life, to determine, am I living this to God's glory or am I living this life to my own glory? He would ask himself 15 questions and he would rate himself from 1 to 10 about how he did in uh, you know, every day of his life. Now, this, this might not be something that you'd have time for, but one of the things that's important to do is sometimes you know, take stock of your life. How am I using my abilities? Am I doing them, am I using them in a way that glorifies God? So every day he would ask himself 15 questions, rate himself from one to 10. He would ask, have I been fervent in private prayer today? Have I used morning, noon, and evening to to pray? Have I spontaneously prayed to God every hour? After or before every deliberate conversation or action, have I considered how I might use it to God's glory? After any pleasure, have I immediately given thanks to God? Have I planned my business for the day? Have I been simple? Have I avoided luxury and recollected God in everything? Have I been zealous in undertaking and active in doing what good I could do? Have I been humble, cheerful, and affable in everything I said or did? Have I ever been proud or unchaste or enviable of others in my thoughts? Have I been careful? Uh, Have I remembered God in my eating and drinking? Have I been thankful? Have I been disciplined in how much sleep I'm getting? Have I taken time to give thanks uh, to God according to a a set of disciplines that he set up? Have I been diligent in my studies? Have I thought or spoken unkindly of anyone? Have I confessed all of my sins? I'll tell you what. 
as I kind of take stock of my own actions in light of those 15 things, that, that is challenging, right? If I were to give myself a 1 to 10 about any of those on any given day, probably not, not very often am I going to get 10 across the board. Whitfield did that particularly so that he could make sure that in all of his actions, he was giving glory to God in all things. Why? Because everything belongs to God. Because all that you possess financially, all of the time that you have, all of the abilities that you have, these are not your own. You did not create them. You did not come by them because of your own goodness. They're all gifts of God. Therefore, recognizing that everything belongs to God should lead us to ask, how do I use it for God's glory? Just be faithful stewards to the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are great. Everything that we have comes from you. What do we have that we did not receive? And if we receive it, why do we boast as if we had not? Help us to live as people who recognize that you are the giver of all good gifts. That you have given us everything that we have, all of our abilities, all of our time, all of our financial resources, and help us to use them in a way that honors you, to your honor and glory, to the advancement of the gospel, and for the building of your kingdom. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You want me to introduce the song? You introducing the song? I'll introduce it. Does that sound good? Sure. You want to do it at the same time? We probably can't do it at the same time. Well, let's stand and let's respond by singing praise to God. Let's sing glorious day. Let's hear now these words of blessing as we depart this place. Let's recognize that as we leave this place, the blessing of God rests on us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Let's go in peace.